Hey everyone, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub. I am back in the normal office setting as opposed to all of the settings people have seen over the last handful of weeks. Very happy to continue our conversation on delivering high impact solutions. We got a really exciting guest today, Rija, who I will go ahead and introduce in just a minute. Let's see a couple of things. One, we want to again thank Litmus for both sponsoring this theme and allowing me to join them and their booth last week at Hanover. My days and weeks and time zones are very very screwy with everything that has been that with everything that has been going on i hope you guys enjoyed the content coming out of there we will certainly have some more doing that and at some point vlad and i will get together to do a theme recap and when we get together to go ahead and do the theme recap we'll let vlad go ahead and grill me on some hanover the things that that i saw at hanover and we'll go talk about some things that we are planning to do at automate so very excited about that. We'll let, go ahead and let everyone take another second to, to get in. But if you guys are going to be at Automate this year at the end of May in about a month, please go ahead, drop, drop some comments below. We're working to put we're working to put together some conversations and everything that we're going to have there. Want to make sure that we can go continue to see visit everyone. And I will promise one of the things that I realized is I'm really bad at taking pictures with people who come up to visit me. So that's going to be Vlad's sole job is to remind me to take pictures of folks who come up to visit us. But no, th th this is great. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, Vlad. We have made it to episode 110. We are continuing to discuss how to deliver high-impact solutions quickly. And I would like to welcome Rija Raketu Ariswa onto the show. Rija, thank you for being here. I hope I did not mispronounce your last name too badly. Thank you, Dave. And uh, hi, Vlad. So I am honored to be part of your host today. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to speak with us. Before we dive into the technical topics slash questions, could you give us a little bit of a background of yourself? How did you get started in manufacturing slash industrial space? What was your maybe career path like and what it is that you are doing today? Okay. I am in the industry for almost 19 years now in the beginning. So I have, let's say, a double master science in finance and in IT. So in the beginning, let's say in 2004, I started as a, a developer, a software developer, and I work for an automotive company to, to develop the, the maintenance application and also for, yeah, for the, the OE application. So it's like some homemade applications and I did it around one year and a half. After that, I come to as the IT manager of the plant, of the plant, and I manage, of course, the application, the network, the new project for the new cabling in, inside the shop floor, and I participate as well the implementation of the ERP for the group, and I, in top of my plant, so I traveled to all of the plants as well. So I have a great background of an ERP is. So that is, let's say, my, my, my first part of career until 2011. And in 2011, I am, so there is no more challenge for me. So I'd like to do something beyond the, the, the IT. I did the master science in finance. And at the same time, the group gave me the responsibility of another plant to be the finance and IT man of this one. So the challenge was that this plant lost money and that the idea is just to, to make the plant profitable. 
So that was my, my main challenge. And as if you are some, let's say geek tagged people, not really some business people, so it's not easy. And I have to learn from the ground regarding the finance side. And I started there to go to the shop floor to do my, uh, let's say my, my Gemba walk <laughs> to analyze what's happening in, in the shop floor. Even if my, my main role was the, to be the finance manager of the, of the plant and from this, so it's from 2012 to 2016. So in, in during this, these four years, I learned a lot about the, about the plant, even if previously I already an IT manager for the plant, but the fact that I, all, I am also interested to the finance side of, of the plant management, I go deeper on the, how the process were, were performed in the, in, in the shop floor and had a lot of discussion with the operators, with the production manager. So it gave me a lot of knowledge about how a shop floor work. And as in the automotive industry, the margin is very little. So you have to take care about everything. And if I compare with the company I work today, it's my client. So the margin is not the same. Yes, I developed there as well the, let's say, the, the cost mindset as well. The, if, if there is no value added, so we should find a way to improve it. After four years as a finance and IT manager, the plant is becoming the second year profitable and the system was in place because I know the ERP and I put in place some automatic alerts to, to help the team. And, and so there is no more challenge for me. And I wanted mm -hmm. to do something else. And it's 2016 and uh, I go to the, to the group level, the group I have at that time, 10 plants over the world. My mission was to start the industry 4.0 for the project, because before this, there was nothing. And the idea is to, to start to connect the, the, the equipment in order to have automatically the OE, because before that. We should write on the paper, the data, and the next day you have the information from GRP and it's not really real time management. And in the same time, my company was bought as well by a, a big one. So it's like a Canadian company and I integrated the, yes, the, the worldwide team for the industry 4.0. I met an amazing guys from Canada, from Toronto there, and I learned a lot from them. And I travel a lot as well in Mexico. Western and Eastern Europe. Yes, I found a lot of a lot of mindset, a lot of culture, a lot of different way how they how they perform the the connectivity in the shop floor. But after three years with them, I was not aligned with the management. And yes, so basically the yes the management in France is not really the same. And yes, I I would like to have some something different and I left the company in 2019 and go to go to Ponkland. So from Ponkland, there was no dedicated people for the, for the shop floor. My team and I had to start everything from the greenfield. So it was very interesting because uh, yes, we had the all support from the top management to, to suggest something. And our initial, our initial mission was to implement an MES. So this was one of the big projects of the company, and that's why we, we were hired by the company. And unfortunately, uh, one year later, uh, COVID-19 came. I don't know if I should say unfortunately or fortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. COVID-19 was come, but for our mm -hmm. project, uh, after two years, I think 
fortunately COVID-19 was there because, because of the foreign COVID-19, we review everything. We try to say that, yes, we will not go anymore to the, let's say, to the monolithic system. And we had to reduce cost as well in order to keep the existing system because we already have some maintenance system, some OE system, something to do with the quality, for example, but in silos. So there are the, those, those applications did not communicate. The operation teams has to do a duplication of, of the information manually and as it can generate a huge workload and too much no value added tasks. And we review everything on the table to say, okay, we have to, to keep what we had, the legacy, but we should make them communicating. And that is one point. We, we should avoid any, any huge project we should be able to implement something very quickly. So that is one of the requirements. And uh, yeah, so there are a lot of dust points on the table and, uh, and that was the, the start to choice an industrial IoT platform. Yeah, Bridget, I certainly have a lot of questions based on what you just said, but let me, I want to take a step back really quickly and dig into your like background a little bit. And I think that there's two distinct like shifts that I'm really interested in. So the first one being with a software. So you mentioned you did computer science, if I'm not mistaken, yes. in university. Yes, exactly. And so the yes. transition maybe into manufacturing, how was that? Was there a big learning curve? And also what interested you in our in the industry, because I know that there's a lot of people who and the software space have option to go into a software company and become a software developer for all kinds of different applications. But I think the manufacturing industry certainly offers interesting opportunities as well. So I was, I'm wondering if you could paint us a picture of what your yeah. thoughts were joining manufacturing. Yeah. So I think the main point was that I want to do something meaningful. So when you help people in the shop floor, you see them every day, you see their pain to writing information in paper, and then the company have to, to dedicate some, some people to write down in the ERP. And as the ERP is not a real-time system, it's you have to batch something and extract information. And yeah, so there are a lot of things that, that, that is not optimized. I wanted to be part of those who solve a this problem and it is mainly the uh, the 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 let's say the main point i uh, let's say the main focus i had to uh, yes to make the shift to the shop floor and uh, so the the learning curve is not too high because uh, even if i was part of the it department of course we had to support the the operation teams so uh, i know more or less even if i am not the specialist for automation and, and and the maintenance but i know exactly what happened there so it's very easy to me at that time to understand them and with my skills in software yeah it was helpful and the the mix was going well awesome no i absolutely i really love to hear that story because i think in my conversations not enough I want to say people from IT take the time or spend the time on the shop floor to understand the real challenges. And I think that's really critical to be able to make the decisions that you're making in your current role, at least. So I, I certainly appreciate that. I think it's very important for you to take the time and understand the industrial space. The second transition I noticed a lot is the financial education yes. also. So I'm curious, 
what kind of push, was that something that the company recommended? Was that something that you no. thought would be like a good addition? Like what was that decision? This one is a personal challenge because when in my pre, in my previous company, so when I was in when you are in IT, with only in background in IT with the, the education, because in France, the education is very important, even if you can do something else. So if you did not send the right education, you can do the right job. And I wanted to, to step up this and I asked to them to do something else beyond the IT. And they said that, yes, but you don't have any of our skills apart IT. So I asked them to, to follow a course to go back to the university. And they follow me on this. So it's uh, the initiative is from myself and about the company, maybe show the potential from my side and they help me on this. So I stay inside the company in parallel of doing this master science in finance. And uh, yeah, the ideas, of course, uh, let's say to take uh, more responsibilities than just IT to have, let's say global understanding how a company work and how, how you can manage a company. And uh, yeah, and I think it was a good choice because it gave me the the all uh, overview uh, of uh, yes of finance of course of the operations and and everything. <clears throat> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that again, if I want to make the comment, I think there comes a time where if you're extremely technical, you still need that financial or business knowledge to yeah. make sure yeah. that you tie the projects back to something that again delivers results, right? And at the end of the day. Yeah. In the manufacturing space, we're trying to create products and put them out the door, right? So you need to understand some finance in yeah. order to optimize. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but in industry 4.0, ultimately you're gathering data from the production floor, but ultimately you're creating more dollars coming back into the business, whether it is like cost savings, yeah. reducing yeah. defects or optimizing for higher speed or production. So that's really good. I certainly can see the value in that. If I could ask you a question yes. on industry for that. Oh, so I know that movement has started a number of years ago. There's been a lot of discussions. I think that our space has not settled on an official definition yet. When someone talks to you about industry for that, oh, what does that entail? What kind of maybe systems immediately come to mind? And even maybe if you can draw some examples of what you've worked yeah. on that would help, but ultimately... What does industry for that all mean for you? So for me, industry for the zero means a couple of things. <laughs> so the the first one is and the easiest one is that the fact that your your shop floor, your real device communicating with the, the <coughs> virtual device by 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 collecting data. So that is one. The second one for me is that it should be useful for for the the operation team. And then contextualize data, thanks to the data collection, is part of the industry 4.0 as well. And there are a lot of technologies around this around this technology, like the augmented reality, for example. Let's say if you create some digital twin is like you take a clone of your of your shop floor mm -hmm. with a, a virtual one, maybe to to make easy the remote assist, the remote assist, for example. Or for example, for the maintenance team, in order to make to facilitate the 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 troubleshoot, for example, if they are in front of a given equipment, and they can say, okay, I am on this equipment, maybe with a scan of QR code, I have automatically all of the data, and then I can see the trend, and maybe a specialist I can say, yes, this pressure is not normal, or this temperature, or this or this or this or, or this parameter, and all of this is not limited to this, but but the first thing come in mind is that. 
data collection and data visualization in real time in the shop floor to help the operation, the engineer, the maintenance, and the, yes, of course, the, the, main, the main target for a production line is to be up and running. What we need is to put in place some system to make sure that this is under control, having alerts, having the, the let's say, the, just having too much alert, but only when, when, when needed, because now we collect too much data, but we don't need to be alerts to, to everything, but just for the exception. And those exceptions will really helpful for the operation team. Yeah, and I certainly agree with that definition. And I think the there is a lot of complexity, right, yeah. to unravel in that. There's networking, there's server knowledge, there's potentially cloud. You've mentioned VR, augmented reality, yeah. right? There, there's a lot of different technologies that I think you can almost spend an entire career on, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it is, how to say, like, I always describe it as, I want to say like journey, but that's like a used word, but there's like stepping stones, right, when it comes yeah. to Industry 4.0. But ultimately, it is a lot about the data. So I certainly agree with you on that point. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that this has been a really good conversation. Rija, if I can take the conversation back just for a minute, you were talking about how you want to go get your finance degree in order to go find that next level of challenge. As you were going through the degree and as after you, you have received in the, many years of now practical experience, are you looking at projects differently? And are you looking at them more in a cost benefit scenario? And are you using that financial framework as justification to help explain why we should do projects to plant managers and to executives within your company? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It changed a lot the way I manage a project because of course I try to see how we can optimize the overall cost for the company. Not only, for example, if we try to buy a software, I have to think, yes, the, the initial cost for the project, but also the running cost for this. This is a basic thing. And this is for me, now it's becoming something like, uh, like the standard. And so that is one point. And then the second point as well is that sometimes when you go to the shop floor, they have a ton of uh, requests. Yes. And, uh, and it's important as well to be honest with them and tell them that, yes, it's great to have all of this, but for each of them, you should ask them to say that, yes, what if we did this, what is the, the value added for you? Or uh, it, does it change something in uh, your daily basis? For example, if someone just to ask, okay, I'd like this dashboard, collect this data. And if the effort between the benefits is, if not, if the balance is not on the right way. So we say <laughs> to, the guy, to the guys that uh, we will not do it and uh, we explain. And it's very important as well, because I already had in my previous career, the fact that I was part of the, the corporate team and corporate team create a project, and then we should implement it to the plant. And before we did not ask them, <laughs> but okay. we should implement this. And by my experience, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for sure and and it's let's say a loss of money for the company my my approach now is that go to the shop floor discreet mm -hmm. them see what's happening there identify some pain with a quick discussion even if you go there half a day i am quite sure that the operators the technician will give you a lot of interesting things 
And, and what is very interesting is that when you take those ideas, implement them, go back to them, and then there will be a great support and, and they told a good message for you, spread a good message for you. And it's really helpful. And, and that is for me, the, let's say the very impactful in terms of implementation, listen and explain. And also not only, let's say sometimes maybe some, some people would like to, to make pleasure to give pleasure to the guys, even if it's bring nothing, or maybe there is an emotion. Yes. With the finance, I learned to, to separate the emotion and the fact also, and, and it is helpful as well to, to, to explain. And when you explain, it's very easy. The guy will not tell you that, that you are not a good guy or no. So there is a reason and you have to be a more factual instead of emotional and yes. This is part of I. This is part of, of I learn as well. Absolutely, I think that that's very important. So Vlad is throwing a comment from Daniel up here, and he's saying that it's an it's always important to make sure that the end customer is involved with the project process. The more involvement from the customer, the better the implementation will go. And I think that's a really good point. And I feel like we talk about it so much on this show, but I also feel like we've all seen many times over and over again, where for whatever reason, the, the people on the plant floor, the end customer to Daniel's point, aren't intimately involved in the project. Yeah. And it's just a consultant shows up and they're like, hey guys, this is what we're doing today and this week. And you probably didn't know about it, but here I am. This yeah. is what we're going to do. Let's hope it works out well six months six months from now. Yeah. Rija, like to that point, I like the framework that you're talking about. Do you have maybe an example project of something that you have leveraged this framework that we can talk about yeah. that, that has worked well in the past? Yes. So I can take, for example, so I have two examples. So the one is from my my previous role as a finance manager and the recent one is in Punkline when I implemented the, the data hub two years back after the COVID-19. We have to shift that to something like more agile and a lower cost, of course, and, and also no monolithics. So there are a lot of challenges and we did, yeah, we are. We did know exactly what we would like to have with my team because there is no Superman here, <laughs> but my team is there and the guys from plant as well. So it's, let's say a teamwork. And what we did is that with my team and the, the business team, so we identify which features you would like to implement. So we are very clear on this, the technical features, the business features, some advanced features that is more or less mandatory or not. So we qualify all of this and we name it in the choice criteria. From this, we identified some, yeah, some, some softwares in the market because we, one of the key points is that we don't want to develop something by our one. We would like to have something that in the market in order to go quickly. And, and what we did is that with these criteria, we select some, some software and we, and we ask some presentation and we keep four fourth of them what we did to to scale very quickly is that we work in a lab mode so we have a digital lab and uh, we we test each of them so i negotiate for to to each of course <laughs> to have the zero cost so i negotiate to each of supplier to have to have a zero cost and to have a free license for us and we test really everything the idea is to to have an educated decision 
not just an emotional one. And uh, educated means that for each of them, we take the, the, the choice criteria, we say yes or no, and then we have a quotation for, for each of them. And at the end, we make the, we make the, the addition without the cost, of course. The, we, we try to not, uh, let's say, influenced by the cost as the first step, but just what are the features and then we can negotiate it if uh, it fits our, our needs. What we saw during our tests in the lab is that lot of, of application for the industrial IoT are, let's say, more, more monolithics and it needs lot of software, a lot of resources to, to implement this. And of course, now you have to implement something with four or five servers. Of course, you have to pay those servers to pay the license for Microsoft and so on. And, and I cannot imagine to deploy it to each plant because even if it's, let's say something that that common for the group, you have to make sure that the plant is up and running. And uh, because if there is any network issue between the corporate and the plant, it will be unacceptable. We have an architecture for each plant, so we need something that's scalable to all of the plants, mm-hmm. but able also to be consolidated at the corporate level. So we have all of this. We really tested in the lab. We had some some use cases, and then we validated. So we ask as well the help of some of the suppliers. And for this, mm-hmm. for example. After two, three months, we made our decision. Yeah, you can imagine that for an MES, you can validate something in three months. It's not possible. But from our side, for this industrial IoT platform, we make our, our decision. And uh, yes, that's at this time, we chose Lightmiss because for me, even if it's not perfect, and I know that I push a lot as well, the Lightmiss team to, to make some improvement on it in order to, to have some advanced feature. I think this is a, a part of the, the game player in the future compared to some some big some big software. And uh, we, with this choice done, what we did is that we did not have time to make all of the plant tour to have the requirement from the from the plant. And also, it's something new. No one knows it, and we are at 2021st lockdown, more or less lockdown, so we cannot travel to 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 the plant. And with the mind business accusers, we decided that what is the quick win use case in order to have something that easy to implement and have a visual for the, the a visual and real impact for, for, for each plant. So we take two three use cases, we implement it, let's say by 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 top down and the, this way, and we show them that yes, this platform we can do this for you. And typically we were able to, to have to have let's say in, in global for the nine plants the information from all of the equipment for the motor test bench for example so in just in one to click they have the result and the details which parameters are wrong but previously they have <laughs> to, to connect it to a database make a, a query put it to excel and uh, see which which system is okay or not okay so with the system, we collect information automatically and push it. This is one of the one of the, the way we manage it very quickly. But what is really important to, to have in mind is that, yes, we implement the simply use cases, but we think globally. So this use case is scalable for all of the plants. Mm-hmm. As I said that, yes, you should have a global vision 
even if you act small on a, a simple use cases or a unique use cases for, for a given plant. And we think that, yes, we should make this available for all of the plants. And with this way, we were able to impact every, everyone at all plants in the short period. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. Regent, you had made the comment about digital lab yeah. and you used the digital lab to go compare a number of different softwares to pick the direction you wanted to go. Can you tell us a little bit about the digital lab that you guys set up, how big it was it and the process that you went through to, to go select the software that you guys are now using? Okay. The digital lab is just, it's not, let's say a dedicated department. It's just, a, let's say a dedicated place, of course. And uh, we implement there, for example, a dedicated network with no restriction, because as if you have to connect new things to the corporate network, you can wait a lot of, and, and it's normal. It's not uh, critical for, for my infrastructure team, but yes, it's mm -hmm. normal. So the idea is that, yes, we have to keep our corporate network secure, but in parallel, mm -hmm. we should be able to go more quickly with no restriction. And once it's okay. We take the system and we try to implement this to say, okay, we have to implement this to this flow, for example, in the firewall or something, because it can take time and it is helpful as well to test everything. It is compliant or not with our corporate cybersecurity system. And yes, the one of the really value added for the, for the digital lab is that we can do it without the help of someone else. Just with the team, we go to the digital lab. We had our internet connection. We have a dedicated computer and we make our test. And that was okay. really helpful. And we focused really on, on the test without IT restriction. If I can jump in, Dave, I also noticed the common region that you made was that you decided to find an off-the-shelf solution versus building in-house. I'm curious how that maybe process went through, because I'm sure that you've considered it, right? And you mentioned that for maybe speed purposes, you decided to find something already built. But I know that many manufacturers are still in that gray area where they're trying to decide which way to go. They're trying to decide maybe with a going with a very small systems integrator or a very large solution provider. So I'm curious, again, building in-house versus getting something off the shelf, how that decision and evaluation took place. Yeah. So we have both, but not this industrial IoT platform. So the choice was that we should have something that is, let's say, easy to put in place. And for sure, we are not a specialist to develop driver or something to connect it to the to the equipment. So I think this is one of the one of the key points that we are not able to develop something that with the large driver, because yes, we have company in the US. So more or less you have the Alan Brad laser or the, or Roquel in Europe. Mostly we have Siemens, maybe Finuc as well. In Asia, we had a lot of, a lot of kind of PL. It's important for us to have something ready to use. And so that is one point. And the second point is that my team is very small. My point is that I would like to have a tool that is usable for end users, even if they are not IT. And even if they're not automation people, so it is really part of our uh, choice criteria as well for this platform IoT. Yes, indeed, we did not consider the the house-made application, but of course, for example, we have we developed, for example, a house-made application for OE, for example, because it's simple. With the with the platform, you collect the signals, and then in the application, you just display, make some calculation, and that's it. 
So it's easy and anyone can do it even, even if with the Excel you can do it. But for the platform, it's very important. And also, I wanted also to, yes, on top of the fact that it should be easy to use by the end users and it should be scalable as well. What's scalable is that basically I have now that I have one data hub for each plant, but tomorrow my point is that we are testing uh, this with, with my team to have a device on the edge directly on the production line and having the software there. In that way, we can log data. Even if I have issue on the network, I have the information there. I can there put some storage system. So it's under testing with the, with my team. So it's the next step of the, of the, of our architecture. And, and it is in prevision of, of the fact that I would like to put the AI in the shop floor directly because as storing data just uh, in the cloud will be costly. And maybe yes, in the beginning, we should maintain the model of our AI system. But once the model is okay, we can push it directly to the edge and maybe we just need to, uh, to store the, the key data in that way it can mm -hmm. reduce as well the, the, the cost of ownership of the whole system. So yes, we go step by, we try to, to keep a global vision. I really okay. like the way you break that down. Yeah. I, I like the step-by-step -step system, right? Because I think that a lot of times when you go online and you read like a large case study, you're going to maybe find the end result, which just has, we've implemented a bunch of like edge devices that talk to servers that have AI barcodes to retrieve information. And you see the end result versus kind of the step-by-step -step process yes. that is taking place. So I certainly appreciate that. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. You know, I like this. I, I, reach, I really like how you laid out all of those thoughts. Excuse me. I like, I like how you laid out all of those thoughts. And so what I do want to do is in just a sec, I would like to go thank some people. And then I would like to ask you a bit more about that artificial intelligence that you were mentioning. So we want to thank Litmus for sponsoring this theme. With Litmus, everyone can work from a single source of truth to improve efficiency, drive profitability, and scale securely when it comes to industrial data. Real-time connectivity, normalization, contextualization, and analysis at the edge come together in one platform to help IT, OT, and enterprises do more with their data. More than 275 drivers connect to legacy and modern industrial systems in minutes, ready KPIs and analytics, digital twin and machine learning models, and integration to the cloud available out of the box. If you'd like to try Litmus out, check out central.litmus.io. We'll go ahead and have that in the chat and we'll make sure that it's in the show notes. And please let them know that Dave and Vlad from Manufacturing Hub uh, sent, sent you guys that way as you go test that out. Sarija, you were talking about artificial intelligence, right? That is a goal. And maybe we train the model in the yeah. cloud and deploy it on the edge. Yeah. I would love to get your thoughts on where the industry is going to go, or maybe if you're currently using artificial intelligence on the plant. So I guess two questions is, are you currently using artificial intelligence and where do you see this going into the future? So we are just on the stage just before because okay. artificial intelligence is very good, but we should ensure that we have consistent data. If you don't have consistent data, artificial intelligence is, is nothing. It's bullshit if you have no, no consistent data. So that's why the first step was that to put in place this standardized platform for all of the plants, 
collect information in the consistent way in order to make sure that uh, yes, the, this is reprodu reproducible for all the plants. And then I know that now for some equipment, we have more than three years because we were able as well, even if our software is two years back, we integrate as well some historical data. We put in place some, some flows to integrate the system and all of this is automated and, and it helped us to have a lot bunch of data. And now we started to work with the, with the business to say that, yes, what are your key parameters and then blah, blah, blah. Yes. Now, I think in, in the next three or six months at, at the latest, we will have something great. But uh, yes, we're just on, on the step before. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that's exciting. While I was at Hanover, I had many conversations about artificial intelligence. And I think many of the groups were to, to, to very similar to the place of you are. Of, there are a couple of applications that we could, in theory, use now. But based upon where we are as manufacturing, as an industry, I believe that most of those applications may be trained in the cloud, but are going to have to be pushed down to the edge for everyday use for a variety of reasons, including the fact that cloud costs can get extremely expensive if you're pushing up and down a lot of data, as well as the fact of we just don't have great connectivity across the manufacturing floor. Vlad, I know that this is a little bit different than all of the other artificial intelligence conversations that we, you and I have been having in the past. Are, what are your thoughts on that? I want to open it up to you to be able to go ask the questions and conversations that I've been having for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think coming from the OT side, I think there's a lot of challenges in getting that data consistently, as Rija mentioned. I think there's, again, we can dive deeper into this, but there's many different protocols in the industrial space. I think it's very difficult also to untangle, I guess would be the word that I would use, the the differences in different control systems. And obviously, Rija, I don't know what your plant floors look like, but in my experience, there's very little standardization. So it becomes yeah. a very tedious experience in, again, you see a lot of PLCs behind me going into the PLC. You need to understand the process. You need to understand what data points we have. Then you need to send that to like an edge device or a server, ultimately buffer that as you've explained also would be a good option. But then, so I think that a lot needs to be done before AI models can be implemented. And I think that at least from my conversations, manufacturers sometimes underestimate what the, what it requires to get there. And I think, again, from what I've seen personally, if you make the mistake of trying to go too fast, you can make mistakes along the way that are detrimental. And I'll give you like one example. I remember when I was doing data integration work and again, we would be just walking away from the project too quickly and the data was not accurate, right? So we didn't validate the data completely, then people who are looking at that data will very quickly distrust any information that you give them, right? So if you make those mistakes and if you don't correct, even if you correct them, right? So even if you correct them, you lose that trust. So taking the time to validate and make sure everything's solid, as you mentioned, everything's buffered and there's no like losses of data, which again, can frustrate some users because they don't understand the hardware and the software behind that. Um, so it can hinder the entire implementation, just that one yeah. little mistake yeah. that you make. But anyways, that's like, that's my experience, but it's certainly, 
I think we will see more and more AI applications, and I think that there's manufacturers testing them. But personally, I've not heard of like a very good, solid case study yet. And I think they're also secretive about releasing some of those case studies because whoever implements it well will have a an advantage right in the marketplace. And so I I'm patiently waiting to see like real life case studies that come out. Here's how we use the AI. Here's how it can be easily applied to like a different process. So I'm patiently waiting. Absolutely. Yes, I think, yes, the biggest challenge on this is the connectivity. I don't know if I am alone, but I know that, yes, we have a lot of diversity. That is one. And among of this diversity, we have also the, the communication problem with the suppliers or the integrators, because yes, you have your plant, you have our PLC, you have our robot or something, but they, you not really have access to all of them easily. So we have to ask supplier or the in integrator to have access to some to some information with the from your plant from your data <laughs> and it's really frustrating frustrating because i have a lot of in integrators that they don't allow us to make some modification or even if we ask them that okay you do the job make it let's say a communication table just for us just for read and we will not write anything in the system but we just need to collect data it's not really easy for the legacy equipment. It's very, very difficult uh, to do this. And as I don't know in the US, but in, in France, for example, we have lack of automation engineer and uh, very difficult to have uh, for each plant is a very specialist. This is one. And the second point is that if you have a too much diversity, so that means that you have to have someone that expert in Siemens, in Rockwell, in Alan Bradley, in something else. and they, it's not it's not easy what we try to do is for the new line or when you do some retrofit for example so the mm -hmm. to ask the business to involve us in the early stage in order to to make sure that yes we need this and this in that way it's much easier to 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 work together before the implementation of the production line with the supplier that yes we need this and once the line is there we just need to plug and have data, but of course it just may be 10 or 20% of the production line, but the 80% is just the legacy and you have to manage with this. And yes, it's one of the big challenge we have today. If, if someone have an ID for this, so <laughs> I will appreciate. Do you see the, do you see if there's a shift in, in mindset from the integrator side, are they more willing to give you data? Because I think that our industry is slowly looking at the software industry that has a lot of open source projects. It's a lot more open. There's more mm -hmm. platforms where I can put <coughs> the entire code base and write software on top of this, but it's not the same case in industrial automation, at least. So do you see it? Do you see us going that direction or do you still have a lot of conversations where integrators are trying to keep that data to themselves? I have both cases. So I have, for example, at least the three three supplier that I am fan. We are able, not Rija, but the Punkland team, were able to discuss with them and change. For example, we have some equipment that they have some, let's say, specific OPCVA implementation, and it does not fit to the standard implementation of the OPCVA. So we ask them, for example, to say, okay, if you can implement the MQTT, for example, in this equipment, it should be it should be great and more flexible for us. So. Uh, Punkland was, let's say, a helper 
for them. So we make we made the test in the live machine to the new version of their software. It was a good collaboration with the software. We have at least a three supplier as well currently that where we will have new lines and with the business team, with the project team, we are in contact with them in order to implement something. Yes, for the new line, I do not have the difficulties. B, maybe the, the main reason is that they are not all paid. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it is one of the, one of the reason, but I hope so that the, the mentality will change and i am quite sure that the the supplier the supplier or the manufacturer will not play the game on this way will dead tomorrow because i think most of the company will will not uh, most of the company will need connect connected machine maybe having some api or something like that from the shop floor directly in order to communicate with the with the iot system with the 5g or something like that so i think they will be forced to to change even if in the in, in the industry it's moving slowly so that mm. is my uh, my uh, my thinking about this and it's a it's an interesting ah. dilemma i'd want like dave to chime in on this right but i think we see on one side integrators of these systems being more open but on the other side there's a lot of platforms that are coming yeah. in with their own let's say like cloud solution right because they see yeah. value in the data. So yeah. I think one example that comes to mind is like vibration center sensors for motors yeah. that read what's going on with the motor and they can reliably tell you when it's going to fail, right? You need to connect those sensors through their own hub that goes through their own cloud. And then, you know, yeah. obviously they do whatever they need to do with their data, but you only yeah. get access to a dashboard that tells you what's happening yeah. with the motor. And I think there's a lot of examples, even on like vision systems, some yeah. of the robotics system so it's interesting i to be honest with you don't have an answer but i'm curious on, on your thoughts and dave's thoughts as well of these platforms that are coming out yeah and i think it's one of the the issue in the future for those company because they want to have their own system and in, in the fact for example if i take my case or the uh, our company case for example we would like to have our data in the same place in our cockpit system not having, let's say, a dedicated software from a given supplier. So what I ask them is that give us an open, an open interface and then we take data from there, push it to, we will take data and push it to our system. And this is the main requirement from our plants, our plant managers to have everything at the same place in order to, in order to, let's say, to avoid losing time taking information from there. And this is what we put in place, for example, with our IoT platform. And yes, it is not at the end, but it's growing and more and more we collect information. We break the style out of the equipments and it's really helpful. It's really helpful. Absolutely. I would generally agree with the comments and the comment that Daniel had made in the chat about how vendor lock-in is difficult. I think that there are some cases where it either makes sense or this is the way that the vendor works and our choice is do we want to work with the vendor or do we want to work with someone else but it is certainly difficult if we are trying to go pull that information in we've had this conversation in the past on the show Risha. i think much of the consensus is that we are at a point in time in our in the manufacturing history 
where everyone wants to make their own cloud, where everyone wants to make their own subscription service, and where we are diverting into to many different areas. I think at some point in the near future, we are going to, as I would say, contract, right? So yeah. many of those individual services are going to have to go away if we want to be able to leverage one dashboard, or perhaps there will be a we'll have a handful of services, but we'll be able to via API or something like that, pull into one central database. And I believe that is the direction that we have to go if we want to be successful, because no one has time to go sit on 10 different dashboards to try to go figure out one problem or have 10 different services go try to send out text messages or email or other alarm notifications that, that something is going wrong. We see it currently, even if we just look at some specific maintenance platforms, like maintenance shouldn't need four or five different platforms to attempt to do their job. The more platforms we add with the hope of providing better information, the more difficult all of our jobs become. So I, I think that we will see in the next, I don't know, two, three years, the, as I say, contraction of that, where we lose so many of those. I think we will always see some specific vendor lock-ins. I think that if there is not a lot of competition, then the vendors don't have a reason to open up the code, to open up the ability to pull in sensors directly off of the machine. But the I believe that there will be fewer and fewer of those opportunities where one vendor owns the vast majority of any type of machine yeah. as we see going forward. Rija, let me ask you one question. You told us very much about this great journey that, that you have gone on, about testing all of these software platforms, about deploying them, about all of this. If a manufacturer is listening and they are wondering, hey, what are some good lessons learned? Do you have some good lessons learned or some good things for other manufacturers to take a look at as they're trying to decide what software platform they want as their data hub or what they're going to base their next generations of solutions off of? Yeah. So my, uh, my lesson is that instead of implementing something because me or someone else implemented it because it's hyper something, instead of this, identify your real needs because each company have a specific needs. And you have to start from there because if not, maybe you implement something that your operational team will know we will have nothing to do with. Importance to yes, to make some some audit to ask the the shop floor team to ask them that uh, yes, what's happening here? What are your main pain points? And from yep. this, you create the needs, not from the from the top. So this is my 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 advice for for the manufacturers. Go from the button, consolidate it, and maybe create your your choice criteria to say that yes, we need this, and for sure you will let's say meet the real requirements from your team, and there is no reason that the project will not successful. No, perfect. I think that is fantastic. And my next question, Rija, is I, I I like to ask everyone to go ahead and predict the future. I feel like so much of our conversation is the future for most of us is what you're building now. But I'm still going to ask you the question, what do you think that the future of the manufacturing industry looks like over the next two or three years? Yeah. I think in the in the future, I think the digital, t- digital twin will be a standard 
it should be a standard because in our current world, the yes, the end customers will ask us something that more specific for each customers. For example, if I compare to my previous company, for example, we we, pro we produce something for the car manufacturers. So we have a lot of batch, multiple hundred of thousand product by type. Now maybe. They will, you just have some, maybe 10 or hundred or something like that for each work order. That means that you have to be more flexible and it's important to make sure that you, you optimize your production line. So digital team will be for me a standard and those who will not implement this, I think they will die slowly because they will be yes. behind of the competitors. So that is one point. And one of the threats I have as well in the future is that since you collect more data, so you need to store more data for all of the plants, basically. So from my side, we have just eight, nine, com nine plants. It's okay. But for example, for company that they have more than 40 or 60 plants, it's, it's, it's huge to store data by their own data center. So they have to push it maybe somewhere in the cloud-based. So maybe, yeah. I will, I don't know what will happen, but I think there will be a problem of ownership of, of the real data because yes, the, the cloud provider maybe will analyze your data or maybe they, they will be, yes, they will be generate more business than mm -hmm. you. So I think industrial company should, should, should take care of this and should anticipate this maybe how, how they will manage this and the future as well is that. As for now, you have the dichotomy between IT and OT. Tomorrow, I think it will be the same thing. That means that we need to have some new skills for the team. So uh, there is a lot of mindset to, to change. And I think the training on the manufacturing side will be a very big thing also, because, yeah. because the knowledge will change. Maybe your operator is not just someone who can manipulate the, the, the equipment, but also some, mm -hmm. someone that is data friendly and that they should be able to, yes, to learn, to read, to interpret the data generated automatically on the equipment, for example. So there is a lot of challenge regarding the, the skills and the profile of, of, the, of the shop floor team. And, and the one key things as well is that the cybersecurity side, because yes, Almost, I can be sure that if you take any manufacturing plants, there mm -hmm. is at least uh, five, tens and more deprecated system. So that means that yes, cybersecurity will be, let's say a key point for, for all. And it should be also a big market for the manufacturing side and, uh, and the new software in the place in the market, for example, should be, let's say cybersecurity ready. I mean that yes, the software itself should be secure by design. It should be it should be mandatory, and I think it will be. But also the network in the shop floor should be yeah take some other stage as well. So that are some some point. And what I see as well is that I go to some show, and I see that there are a lot of a lot of company who develop their platform. At the end, a lot of them are just analyzing data. But maybe tomorrow, mm -hmm. analyzing data will be more easier because the 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 open the open source AI will be more easier to use for anyone, even if the manufacturer uh, themselves. So I think there will be a lot of merging tomorrow also 
on the on the or maybe merging or or cooperation or partnership or something like that so maybe there will be some some major big company who will generate tomorrow so that is let's say my my prevision on this <clears throat> absolutely no i think that it those are all very good predictions i think I guess I hope most of those will come true. Those are very similar to, to to what I think will happen in the next few years. I know you said that you follow and watch a lot of content surrounding Industry 4.0. Do you have some good content recommendations if people are interested in learning more? From my side, basically, I, for example, I create some Google Alert, for example, on Industry 4.0, so I can have it once a day. So it led me to not yes. just scrolling everywhere, but boom, automatically each morning I have the information and it takes five to 10 minutes for me to have, let's say, some, some global view. So that is one point. Second one is that, that uh, we have linked. Sorry to interrupt, Rija. That's an alert to uh, Google, correct? Google News yes. or is that something it, else? Okay. No, it's just a Google alert. A Google alert. Gotcha. Yes. And they send an email to you. So you can select the, the keywords, the frequency, and yeah. So I it's very easy to put in place. And the second, the second method I am using is that I follow, for example, the hashtag on, on LinkedIn, and there are ton of very useful. So you don't need to create something or something in the book because the book is just an, an ID from one people or from two or three people. On LinkedIn, we have all of JD. Maybe you are not okay with them but it's okay so you just take it like a, a, a buffet for example so you take what you want and you learn a lot on this and also i follow some some leaders in the industry 4.0 like walker you know jeff inter and and much more because they are sharing some some very interesting things even if sometimes i am not agree with, with all of them that of course they make a really a good investigation to find the information in the field of industry 4.0 for example absolutely i would i would agree with that we have lots of good information and good content coming out and i think part of that is is agreeing with some of it maybe disagreeing with some of it and having good conversation around what we agree and do not agree with so thank you for that Rija. i guess we always like to ask people for career advice and you've had a very interesting career from software development and controls into finance into kind of this global architecture of industry 4.0 if someone is maybe mid-career and maybe they're looking for a change what is the best advice that you have for them yeah so the first one is that the mindset <laughs> so it's not technical at all but i think the the first point is the mindset so uh, i used to say to my team or to someone who asked me that how do you uh, hire someone i hire someone with the, his or her mindset so that is one so you have to have the mindset to change to learn you have to be coachable and after that if we talk about the and uh, the manufacturing or industry 4.0 area I think the key point is data. So uh, the, someone should, uh, let's say, choose which area they are more uh, friendly with. Maybe data, maybe AI, maybe cybersecurity, maybe uh, maybe the automation, for example, or robotics, because tomorrow all of the skills will be really mandatory in the shop floor because, uh, yes, we'll have more data. So someone who is now how to how to how to work with data how to interpret mm -hmm. AI result or how to customize AI for example it's very very important 
I talk about also the, the cybersecurity because yes, it's key. <laughs> it's key because it will be, it will cost too much money to the company if they have some non-secure system and with the connected device, yes, let's say the surface will be more than today <laughs> and we'll need to have some, someone skills in the cybersecurity. And of course, the cloud as well, if they are more or less friendly with the infrastructure, for example, because you have to store something there and, and they have to manage more and more server or something like that, we have to, to, to scale quickly as well. So I think someone who is aware about the cloud is, is very important as well. And, and I think, yes, it's not mandatory to, yes, to know all of those technical things. Maybe another career is maybe it's in same, the same as me because I am not as technical as you, Vlad, <laughs> Dave, but I can lead the change. So change leader is also a, 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 an important job because you, yes, you can have a high skill, but if you are not able to talk with the operator to talk top management, it will be difficult to, to convince and also, yes, to, to, to palette some things as successful. So that are some, Let me ask you, some rough ID. <laughs> if I can just jump in before Dave asks the next question, I'm curious your thoughts being a generalist versus a specialist. Cause I think again, some of these skills are becoming so difficult to master that again, you can build your entire career in automation or yeah. IT, even something as like networks or like cybersecurity okay. alone. Right. So do you see yeah. more value in like very specialized, like deep skills? Or do you see like generalists that understand, but aren't necessarily as maybe like able to implement those systems be more valuable yeah. in the future? I think it's, let's say a personal feeling because someone, for example, they don't want to learn too much thing. They want to focus on, hmm. on, on, on one or two things and they want to be part of the 10% of people in this field. So this, as I th I said, I, I, the, the specialist about someone else like me, for example, I don't want to be a specialist in, in something. I want to know a little bit and then coordinate the specialist on, on those topics. I think it's, yeah, I cannot give, let's say uh, an exact, uh, an exact advice on this because I think it's personal. Gotcha. I, to, to add to that, I think that we will need both, right? Yeah. I think that we will need, exactly. and I think what Rija is almost calling generalist is like a solutions architect, right? Like we need someone to architect it. They don't have to be the expert in every single one of these yep. subsets, but we need someone to understand the problem, yeah. lay out how we're going to go solve the problem. And then that person is almost certainly not going to be the person who goes and does every single step along the way. There will certainly be some smaller companies who one person is going to go lay out what the solution is and then go do every step of those solutions. But in large multinational companies, that will be a team of people who have complementary skills. And so I would agree that we will continue to need both of those groups moving into the future. People who understand yeah. the process and people who understand every bit and bite as we go through. But no, Rija, this has been fantastic. I guess I've got one last question for you. It is who should reach out? Who would you like to have a conversation with? Do you want to talk about Industry 4.0? Are you guys looking to hire kind of your open forum of how can our listeners help you? So yes, so they can contact me directly if they would like to, to discuss and uh, 
we make as well some exchanges with some company here in uh, Europe, for example, we show them what you put in place. Of course, we accept only the no competitors company, of course, but yes, we did this and I will be really happy as well to have some feedback if, yes, if there is any, any, any insight from, from the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will say to anyone listening, yeah. we'll have Rija's LinkedIn. Yeah. In, uh, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, as well as in the show notes. And with that, Rija, I want to thank you and I want to thank everyone for listening. All of the great comments and conversations that we have been having. Yeah. If you guys have made it this far in podcast form, please hit the like, please hit the follow, please rate us five stars where you can. Remember to subscribe to Solus PLC as, as those numbers continue to go up. And then follow all of us, Rija, myself, and Vlad, as well as Manufacturing Hub on LinkedIn. And again, we want to thank Litmus for, yeah. for sponsoring this theme and for putting up with me all of last week at Hanover. Yeah. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye.